I feel like saying Merry Christmas, but I think it's too early, isn't it? Can you say that? It's December, <laughs> after all. Anyways, lovely to see you here. Thank you for coming. I know there are always lots of other options on a Sunday morning to do stuff. And you, so you're prioritizing this whole business of worshiping God together. Here we are. Of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And sharing some of his love around with other people here too. So I hope you feel the love today. <laughs> it's good to have you here. Um, also, we are in the middle of 100 days of prayer, and this is the most discouraging part of the whole 100 days, because when you get to the middle of a task that you're doing, and you see all that you've done and all that you still have to do, that's when stuff starts to get discouraging. You remember Nehemiah building the wall and all the people building the wall? When did they get most discouraged? Does anybody remember? halfway through. I've already given you sort of a subtle hint. <laughs> but they did. They still had a lot of rubble, and they still had half the wall to build, and they all felt like quitting. So I want to encourage you in the, at this sort of midpoint of the 100 days of prayer, press on. Keep going. God has called Forest View Church to be a praying church. And that's what we're doing. Okay? And even if you're not in the 100 days, Keep praying anyway. <laughs> All right. So a couple more things. Um, on, on that line of prayer, last week, the youth were asking, pray for me. Do you remember that? And the, every young person who signed up and asked to be prayed for, uh, their, their name was matched up with a family to be prayed for. And actually, there's a waiting list of adults who want to pray for our young people. Isn't that lovely? It's really wonderful. So... Um, for the young people in the church, if you didn't sign up, uh, sign up, and we'll keep praying for you anyway. And then I'm really encouraged about the five ways to joy, and I'm thinking, uh, so Ruth and I have a commitment in Toronto this afternoon. I'm actually speaking at a Mandarin-speaking church this afternoon, and my Mandarin is not very good. I will be translated, but we'll be back for five o'clock or a few minutes afterwards, so we might miss the chili, but I really want to hear what this... Uh, young woman has to say to us about, the, about our, the indigenous people in this land where we are living, and um, I think it's going to be very, very important tonight, so I hope you'll be here. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and it's a time of waiting and uh, longing and looking ahead to Christmas. Um, it's a time of cultivating a, a thankful an anticipating heart, and a longing for more of Jesus, a greater taste of Jesus and his truth in our lives. So Jesus coming to us, I mean, that's the story of Christmas, right? That God himself has made himself very small in the, in the, in the form of a little baby and come to us in the person of, of baby Jesus. And um, Jesus has come to us, and Jesus overturns things. He always upsets the status quo. And in fact, you might think he's turning everything upside down, but really he's turning everything right side up. And he's the one that we're here to worship. And so today, um, we're going to look at the first of our themes for this month, and that is that Jesus turns, he brings hope in an age of despair. There we are. And over the next few weeks, we'll be seeing how Jesus coming in turns things right side up on a, on a lot of different fronts.
So I wonder, is there any need for me to actually talk about the fact that there's a lot of despair in our world? Do I need to kind of give evidence for this or reasons why? I think there's a lot in. In fact, every, um, every week you see, if you have a newspaper or if you hear about obituaries, you hear this little phrase, died suddenly. Do you know what that means? It usually means the person took their own life because they came to such a point of despair that they took their own life, and that's a euphemistic way of saying that they committed suicide because of despair. And there's despair on many, many levels in Canada and around the world. Um, in the musical, Les Miserables, you've probably seen it somehow or other, an amazing story. Oh, just touches my heart of forgiveness and grace given out. Beautiful, but also uh, some moments of intense sadness and uh, despair. So Fantine is this young woman who's dying without hope. And she sings this song, I dreamed a dream in days gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different from what it seems. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. And there are many Canadians who feel this, this kind of uh, despair and um, that our dreams have been dashed on the rocks of daily experience. Maybe it's unemployment at GM. Maybe it's default on a mortgage. Maybe it's a, an addiction that just cannot be beaten, or a broken relationship, or cancer, or the loss of a dearly loved person. Well, Jesus brings hope in a time of despair. He turns the despair upside down, and he gives us hope in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, speaking to the people of Israel at one of the most depressing of all their circumstances, he says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Lots of you will know this verse. But you know, there are times when you, we're in the midst of a crisis where a verse like that almost feels like a slap in the face. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you're in the midst of a complex trauma or a deep grief and somebody just spouts a verse to you like that and you say, man, this is hurting too much for me. I don't know where God is in the midst of this thing. And I'll tell you, this happened to me when I was 19 years old. So my mother was 51 and she died of a brain tumor. And so I came home from university. I was with my dad. We're in Brantford. This is where I grew up in Brantford. And um, we were riding in the car just behind the hearse. And my dad said to us, well, the whole family was in the car, and he said, kids, I want you to know something. Your mother is not in that box. 
your mother is with God in heaven now. Her precious body is in that box and it's going to go on the ground today. But your mother is not there. And this was a word of hope in the midst of, I'm just telling you, despair. You stand there, there's six feet of turf underneath you here. And you say, God, where, where are you in a time like this? In fact, my dad told me that his, uh, so my dad was a pastor, okay? And we're standing in the long line and the casket's over here and the people are coming through, you know, to, you know what I'm talking about? To shake hands and to say, really kind of, uh, I won't say anything. People don't know what to say when they're walking through the line, right? And so sometimes it's kind of awkward. Anyway, this guy from our church came up and said, oh, don't worry, pastor. Romans 8, 28 is still in the book. All things work together for good, you know? And my dad said, I felt like decking him right there. My dad is a very peaceful, loving man. And he was holding his left hand because he's left-handed. And he, <laughs> but he didn't deck him. But he said, I felt like decking him because I'd been up the last three nights without any sleep wondering how on earth can this ever work for good? Are you with me? So there are times in our lives when we go through frustrations that we wonder, Lord, where are you? But it's God's desire and God's plan to bring hope in the midst of our toughest times. So, um, the New Testament tells us about a living hope because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. Um, the promise of Jesus coming back again is called the blessed hope. This is amazing. In Colossians 1.27, Paul declares that Christ in us is the hope of, anybody know? Hope of glory. <laughs> Tons of hope here. And our great creator God actually gives himself the name, the God of hope. He's called the God of hope. And this is a sure hope, a stable hope. Uh, rock-solid hope for us. He's our rock and our fortress, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to look at Luke chapter 1, and I want to I read the first seven verses here, and then we're going to stop uh, at that point. So here it is up here, and so I'll just, I'm going to ask you to stand up just for a change. Would you do that? <laughs> this is to honor the Word of God, so we're going to stand and we're going to read this, and I'd like you to read it together with me if you would. So this is Luke writing to his friend Theophilus, probably a Roman uh, official, um, and he's writing him this letter. Here's a, he, read with me, would you? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Now pause for a second here. Luke wants this guy to know that what he's talking about is absolutely certain. It's based on eyewitness reports. He's gathered all the information. He's saying, I want you to know how certain this is. This is not fiction. This is not a Hallmark uh, movie at Christmas in somebody's mind. He's saying, 
I want you to know how certain this is. So we'll, he, now he dates it. He puts it in the time of King Herod. So he says, and read with me, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Okay, be seated, if you would. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, help us to understand this morning and to be able to practice hope in the face of whatever comes. We give you thanks that for your love, you are good, good Father. That's who you are. And we're greatly loved by you. That's who we are. We thank you for this. Amen. So, Here's the dilemma that we have here. In this story today, and by story I don't mean fiction, I mean the history that God is revealing to us here, that there's this really, really good couple. All right? They've done, I, I think it says here, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. This is, this, these are great folks. They're, both of them are from uh, the, a line of priests. Okay? So that's what it says there. And uh, they're observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They're great. So why should they be childless? I mean, this was really important in this time. I think if you, if you want children today, there are lots of ways to try to make that happen. But even at that, some of us aren't able to have children. But in this day and age, it was a disgrace. And that's actually what Elizabeth says later on, that God, when God answers her prayer, he saves her from her disgrace. That's what he says. Now, why would it be a disgrace? Because children, having children, they were your security. There was no old age security, no CPP. Uh, you had to have children to take care of you in your old age. This was a very important thing. So who would carry on your family name? And who would carry on your heritage if you don't have any children? This was really, really important. And at that time also, if you didn't have children, it was presumed that you must have done something wrong. And God is punishing you somehow by not giving you children. And of course, in this case with these two, there's, it's nothing of the sort, is it? Look at how they're described here. It says that they are righteous in the sight of God and observing all the Lord's commands and absolutely blameless. These are good, good folks. And yet they're struggling in the midst of this thing. And publicly then, there's a certain amount of disgrace that comes over them. So my question now is, how does, how does this work? How does this work? They're praying, 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 praying for a child, and they can't have a child. And how do they keep up their hope in the midst of despair? And I want to propose to you that they were still in the middle of the story. They weren't at the end of the story yet. And when we're in the middle of the story, we can't see how things are going to work out. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. We don't see the answers always. But we're just in the middle of the story. And that would be true for Abraham when he was asked to leave his home and to wander through. So where's the fulfillment to this thing? He's supposed to have you know, more children than, this, than the stars, and he doesn't even have a kid yet. 
because he's in the middle of the story. He hasn't seen how it's going to end yet. We could say this was true for Joseph. When Joseph is sold by his brothers, thrown down a well, and then sold as a slave, he's in the middle of the story. And how about when he goes to Egypt and he does what's right and he gets thrown into jail? Not very good. Because he's in the middle of the story yet. He doesn't see how it's going to end up. And that could be true for Jonah when he's in the belly of the fish. (laughs) He's in the middle of the story. He doesn't see how it's going to end up. And it's true for Mary when she's weeping at the tomb of Jesus. She's still in the middle of the story. She hasn't seen how it ends yet. And this is where many of us are many times, right? We're still in the middle of the story. We're praying. We're waiting for God. But here's the point. God has not deserted us. Can I say that again? God has not deserted us. He's the one who promised, I Uh, will be with you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, and thank you for the amen, by the way. Yes. (laughs) So it's like we hold up this feisty fist of faith, right? In the middle of depressing and difficult times, and we say, you know what? God is still with us. He is with us, and we're going to keep pressing on because we know that he's faithful in all of his ways. And his love is never ending. So I've asked someone to come up and share a little story about something. It's not a little story. It's a great story. Athena, would you come up here, please? Because um, Athena went through some stuff. And, um, well, come, come and tell us what's happening here. Okay. Good morning. Or good morning. Yeah, hold that right in front. Good. <laughs> um, all that you're saying is just so perfect and so beautiful. It's such a beautiful preamble to what I want to share. Um, So April of 2017, I'd received this call from uh, dear friends of ours, Barry and Holly. They're retired pastors, and they're like between 70 and 80, and um, she'd always call with such encouraging words of the Lord, just great scripture. And this particular day, not uncommon for her to call, this particular day she called, and she said, Athena, I was just praying for you, and God really wants you to know how much he loves you and what a plan he has for your future and that what he's called you to do it will come to pass pass i've known the lord for 35 years i've always known that the lord has loved me but at that particular moment the love of god over my it was tangible it was tangible so i started to weep fort's waiting in the car we're on our way to lowe's I go in the car and I realize the date. The date was April 17th, 2017. Huh. April 17th, 1983 was the day that I gave my heart to Jesus. I thought, gee, Lord, how specific of you to send that message through a faithful servant to encourage me on this particular day, my spiritual birthday. How cool is that, right? That's pretty cool. Anyways, time goes on. A couple weeks later, Fort and I are in Vancouver, and I developed this swelling in my neck. Fast forward a few months through blood work and ultrasounds and x-rays and CT scans and biopsies and bone marrow tests, I was diagnosed with classic Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, to which I had to receive chemo and um, 
and radiation. When I started coming here, I had the tiny, tiny little haircut. It was not by design, by the way. It's because it was growing back. But um, so here's the thing. Fort and I had always, always thought that healing would come instantly, but it didn't. But we knew that it was going to. We had I had received this word, God had my back. He had a future for me, that scripture that you're talking about. He had a future for me to take care of me. He had my back. Fort and I went through this with such peace and confidence in the Lord. Did I have to go through chemo? Yes. Was it lousy? Absolutely. But he had my back. And so here's the thing. Throughout this, right, when God has your back, and we know we had such peace and confidence in the Lord, <laughs> family members who had laughed at us for 35 years, Fort and I are the only two that are saved in our family, by the way, other than my mom, who I led to Jesus two weeks after I was saved, but she's, she's passed since. But Fort and I have been the only ones saved in our families, and we'd been laughed at and ridiculed. But we kept praying for them. And here I am, no hair, wearing a toque last winter, and we're sitting there, and estranged members from our family, my father, Mr. Krusty himself, would call every day, and God softened his heart to say, I love you. Ford's dad, who had been estranged from our family for years, started calling three times a week to say, I love you to me, <laughs> the daughter-in-law, which is crazy. <laughs> but the best part is, Fort's sister during this time, um, uh, who had been, again, praying for for so long, had uh, started coming around. She hadn't really talked to us in kind of two years, and for no reason, there was no falling out of any kind. She had gone into this weird kind of slump or hole herself and she kept coming around she goes why are you okay with what's going on why are you so confident with what's going on well if that's not an open door to witness to somebody right so <laughs> you know when you know in acts where um you know peter and his disciples are out you know, witnessing and they get thrown into jail and the angel of the Lord comes in the middle of the night and busts them loose. He says, but I'm going to bust you loose, but what are you going to do? You're going to tell people. Man, I've been given a free get-out-of-jail card, not once through my salvation, but through my healing. So when Anita says to me, hey, why is this okay with you? Sweetheart, I'm going to tell you why it's okay. So every Sunday for like five or six weeks, Anita would show up with her husband, and she would ask, and for hours on end, we would tell her about the goodness of God. These are people who laughed at us for 35 years. Fast forward to Easter of this past year. We were hosting Easter. I'd finished all my treatment, and um, it was just Anita and her husband and Fortnite. All her kids were with their other halves, and she was standing out on my back deck, and she was smoking. It was cold, and she knocks on the patio door, and she goes, come out, come out. And I'm like, I'm not interested in inhaling secondhand smoke. I just gotten over lymphoma, thank you, and it's really cold out. And uh, she goes, no, you got to come out. So I come outside, and she's puffing away, and she puts out her cigarette. She goes, I'm ready. I want Jesus now. Pray with me. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, it's never just about us, right? It's never, ever just about us. So you look at these scriptures that Pastor Doug is talking about this morning. It's never about us. You know, when something like this happens to you, 
you fall to your knees. You are not, we are not our own. We belong to the Father. We are not our own, right? And you have to submit. When you're diagnosed with something like this, and you are down on your knees, and you completely submit, and you think, all right, however it's going to work out, it's going to work out. It just, it just did, and it worked out for my sister-in-law, and since then, the family's all been coming around, and we just are, we are just so blessed, and I stand here completely restored, and whole, and healthy, and we have another member in the kingdom of God, and, um, and, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Wonderful. Anyways. Thanks, Thank Athena. You. Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead. This one. <laughs> So, the Lord's at work in the midst of the difficulties that we face. When we can't see them, we hang on to them. And we're in the middle of the story. But we have, this is a lovely uh, story that ends up in the salvation of a sister-in-law. Isn't that beautiful how God uses those things? But we don't always see how those things work out so nicely. So where do we go for hope in the midst of such difficulties? And I want to give you a verse of Scripture, and this is how we're going to wrap up the message today. Here's this verse of Scripture from Romans 15 and 13. This is a great verse to memorize, by the way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are a few ideas here. First of all, what is the source of our hope? What's the source of our hope? May the God of hope fill you. It's God. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He is the one who can grant us this kind of peace in the midst of all kinds of, of difficulties. He's the God of hope. He's the one who helps us to look ahead and to see that he is the one who has our back, who's looking out for us, who's watching over us. There's only one stable, secure source of hope, and that's God Almighty, the living, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, who tasted death, who rose again with great power, and is still alive today. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus with your life. Um, where are you going to go when things go wrong? Jesus is the source of hope. He's the source of eternal life. And what are the results of hope from this um, verse of Scripture? It's joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. These are things that God provides in the midst of unknown circumstances. And here we are, we have no idea how it's going to turn out, and God still gives us joy and peace as we walk through these things. He doesn't promise us an easy life. He promises us the peace of Christ and the joy of knowing him in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. 1 Peter 1 goes like this. Peter writing this, Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ um, from the dead. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer in all kinds of trials. And so we do.
What is the means of hope? What's our part in this? The means as you trust in him is what the scripture says. So our job is to keep trusting him even when we can't see the future and we don't know. How do we get this kind of hope? I think as uh, Athena said, there comes a point in time when we, when we yield ourselves to God. When we say, God, you can have all me. I believe in you. I, I believe you are the son of God, God the son, that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again with great power. And I ask you to forgive my sins and to give me this new kind of life. I want to follow you. But there's also the ongoing aspect of that, where day by day we roll out of bed in the morning and maybe we land on our knees and we say, Lord Jesus, I give this day to you. I want to walk this day with you. And I ask that you will, as you've blessed me, I want to be a blessing to other people in my world. Make me an instrument of your peace and your blessing to others, the ongoing stuff. And the result of all this is there's the overflow of hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The overflow of hope um, through the Holy Spirit who is in you. When we open up our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, God in us, the hope of glory. And he works in us to grant us this kind of hope. I hope you have this hope within you. I want to close with a story. Um, it's this, this happened to Ruth and me. Ruth's mom had uh, Alzheimer's for a number of years. And um, this was a rough go. Um, and so it came to the point where we would go and visit her. Uh, she had to be in a, a locked place because she would wander and, and get lost. And it happened a couple of times. But anyway, we would go and visit her, and she had uh, come to the point where she didn't know us. She couldn't say anything. She couldn't say our names. Uh, she used to be able to sing with us when we sang a hymn, and then she would hum with us, and then she couldn't even make any noises when we were there. So this time, we went with two of our grandkids, and we were there. And so we chatted with her. We, well, we, were, we talked with her. We gave her information about the family and this kind of stuff. She just sat there and looked at us just totally empty, no interaction at all. So we finally came to the end, and I said, okay, so mom, we, we need to go now, so let's pray. And she just went like that right away, put her hands out. So we all held hands in this circle, and I'm the pastor, right? So I'm getting ready to pray. And she starts out, heavenly, you know who you are. <laughs> Which is... And then she said some absolute gobbledygook we couldn't make any sense of anything she said just an awful jumble of anything and then she paused and she said and hearts wide open i looked at ruth we had these tears in her eyes and we're saying you know what that's what it is isn't it our heart wide open. Let's keep our hearts wide open to the God of the universe, to Lord Jesus Christ, who's given himself for us. Let's keep our hearts wide open to him. A word of truth that came out of a person who was still alive in her spirit, even though her brain was absolutely fried with Alzheimer's. Keep our hearts wide open. Are you keeping your heart wide open to the living and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ because he longs to give you hope in the middle of whatever you're in. 
So Lord, we pause to thank you now. And I pray that if there's somebody here who's never really opened their heart up to you and their heart is not open to you, Lord, that this would be the day for them to say, oh, Jesus, come in. I believe in you. Come, come on in. I want to follow you. I believe you're true. So, Lord, we, we want to thank you that you are the one, Lord Jesus, who humbled yourself and came here and you went so, so low. God, in the flesh, became a human being and you became even a servant lower than that. And you gave yourself over to death, but not just any death, but death on a cross. You went so low. You were acquainted with grief, a man of suffering, for us. You gave yourself for us because of your incredible love for us. And we want to thank you now and prepare our hearts as we get ready to take from this table to eat the bread which reminds us of your body that was broken for us. And as we take the cup and, and, and drink this red liquid that reminds us of your, your blood that was poured out for us on the cross so that we could have hope in the midst of whatever life throws at us, Lord, to know that you're always with us. So we want to rejoice in you, and we pray that you will prepare our hearts and help us to have hearts wide open to you, trusting you and may the God of hope fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We remember you now and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.